Have you seen the form in which wool comes in the market, which is used for knitting purposes? You don't get a ball of wool. So you get a twisted format in which the wool is there and you have to sort it and then you have to make a ball yourself. So this twisted form in which the wool comes is known as hand yarn or wool. Similarly, cotton kabi, the government says that 40% of yarn, it has to be in the form of hand yarn. And hand yarn is used by the handloom sector. But if you look at the handloom sector, we have been saying that most of the handlooms have now been converted into power looms. Share of mills has come down, but share of handlooms has also come down. When the handloom survey was done in 1988, <coughs> it was done in 1988, then we had some 36 lakhs handlooms in the country. So we had 36 lakhs handlooms in the country in 1980. 2009, when the survey was done again, then we had some 21 lakhs handlooms. So we had this as a number of handlooms in 2009. And in the next 10 years that we have seen since then, there must have been some more decline in the number of handlooms. In the last lecture, if you remember, we had said that handloom share is not more than 11 to 12 percent. This is the share of handlooms approximately in India. So the industry is demanding, the power looms and the mills are demanding that the share of handlooms is somewhere around 11 to 12 percent. So this hand can restriction, which is very high at 40 percent, should be reduced to somewhere around 10 percent. So hand can restriction should be reduced to somewhere around 10 percent. That represents the true share of the industry. That represents the true share of the handloom sector. So we have surplus of yarn because we have lost some market and because we have this hand yarn restriction which is very high which is 40%. So we have problems related to the apparel, we have problems related to yarn, we have problems related to the raw material like cotton. Abhi, if you know that in the world if you look at demand, demand in the world is more for the synthetic fibers. We excel in the cotton textiles, but in the world, there's a lot of demand for synthetic fibers. So if you look at the synthetic fibers, China is a country that is a major producer of these synthetic fibers or the fabrics which are made out of these fibers. And what has happened is between 2010 to 2014, in these four or five year period, we had a net trade surplus with China in terms of cotton and cotton textiles. In terms of raw cotton, in terms of textiles, we had a net trade surplus with China between 2010 to 14. Since then, we have started developing a deficit, and now we have a high trade deficit with these countries, with the China. And what has been done is China is dumping a lot of manufactured items into India. Recently, in the month of September, government identified 400 such items and government imposed some high duties on those items. Because China is dumping those items into India, so government has identified four items and government has imposed heavy duties on them. So that these items, they become costly and Indian products are able to compete with them. Now what China is doing these days is, China, it is rerouting those items to the countries with which India has a free trade agreement. This China, if the, let's say China is dumping a jacket. If jacket comes from China, to India directly, then we'll impose a heavy duty on that. Cost of jacket would increase. But what China does is, China would first send it to Sri Lanka, and from Sri Lanka, the jacket comes into India. So when the jacket comes from Sri Lanka, because this is a country with which we have free trade agreement, it is given duty-free access. So this is done by China. So what we require is, not only we need a 
high duty on those items which are being dumped by the other country, but we also need to establish the rules of origin. That is, this item which is coming from Sri Lanka, was it made in Sri Lanka or not? What is the origin of this item? The rules of origin have to be formulated in the country. Plus in India, if you look at the problems, one of the problem is related to the very old machinery and technology that we use. So we are using old machinery, we are using the obsolete technology in the country. In 1999, government came up with a scheme that was known as Technology Upgradation Fund Scheme. So in 1999, government comes up with a scheme and the scheme was known as Technology Upgradation Fund Scheme. Now under this Technology Upgradation Fund Scheme, the idea was that government gave capital subsidy to the industries for modernizing their machinery for upgrading their technology. Suppose I am the owner of a ready-made garment manufacturing unit. I want to upgrade my machines. For upgrading my machine, I go to a bank and I take a loan of let's say some amount. Government said that if you take this loan to upgrade your machinery, then you don't have to pay back all of that amount, some capital subsidy would be given. So under technology upgrading fund scheme, a capital subsidy of 15% was announced by the government. That is, if you take a loan of 100 rupees, for upgradation of your machinery, for upgradation of technology, then you don't have to pay 100 rupees back. You'll be paying only 85 rupees and 15 rupees will be paid up by the bank. Also, it would be paid up by the government. So, under technology upgradation fund scheme, for upgradation of technology, for modernization of machinery, a capital subsidy of 15% was given. In 2016, this scheme was amended. And the scheme that was in place, it was known as Amended TUF. So now the scheme that we have, it is known as Amended Technology Upgradation Fund Scheme. So the scheme, the scheme was amended and now we have the Amended TUFS. Under this Amended TUFS, the idea was that government increased this capital subsidy. So capital subsidy which was 15%, now it has been increased to somewhere around 25%. So capital subsidy from 15% was increased to 25%. That is, now if you took a loan of 100 rupees, you have to pay only 75 rupees. The rest of the 25 rupees will be paid by the government. <coughs> this capital subsidy of 25%, it has been made conditional to job creation. Subsidy has been increased. But it is said that you will get this subsidy only and only if you create certain number of jobs. So some brackets have been set up that if you want a subsidy of up to this amount, then you have to create these number of jobs. Subsidy, let's say of 100 rupees, you have to create, let's say 10 jobs. Subsidy of 200 rupees, you have to create 15 jobs and so on. So subsidy has been increased, but it has been made conditional to job creation. Very recently, in the month of August or September 2018, again there was some amendment in the amended TUFS. And under this amended, uh, amendment, under TUFS scheme, the government said that now we will also include the cooperative societies and cooperative banks. So earlier, if you took a loan from the commercial bank, only then you were eligible for this kind of subsidy. But now government says that cooperative societies and cooperative banks would also be part of the scheme. Second very important was that under amended TUFS, 
government also includes the spare parts and machine accessories that is earlier the capital subsidy was given only if you purchase new machines but now even if you purchase a spare part or even if you purchase a machine accessories then also you are given some kind of capital subsidy so capital subsidy for spare part and machine accessories it is limited to 20 percent so for new machines if you purchase a new machine you will be given a capital subsidy of 25 percent but if you purchase the spare parts and machine accessories then you get a capital subsidy of 20 percent the 20 percent capital subsidy has been announced here so this is the amended tufs that the government has announced last year for the power loom sector because power loom is the most important sector in terms of cotton textile industry, government last announced a scheme known as Power Text India. The government announced a scheme known as Power Text India for the power looms last year. Under this scheme PowerTex India, the government will give capital subsidy and government will give interest subvention. The power loom sector, it has number of problems. One of the problem is that power looms because they are established in the rural areas because power looms number of them are in the small towns, there are problems related to erratic power supply. The power supply is not regular in those areas. So we have irregular power supply in those areas. So if the power looms are dependent on the alternate forms of power, then what happens is cost of production, it increases and the power looms, they will have lesser profit. Second, again the problem is that they have the obsolete technology, they have the machines which are very, very old. So government says that under PowerTex India, two new schemes would be added to already existing schemes. One is the Pradhan Mantri credit scheme. One of the schemes is Pradhan Mantri credit scheme. Under the PM credit scheme for the power looms for upgradation of technology or machinery, a subsidy of 20% is given. This is the capital subsidy. This is an interest subvention of 6% is given. So capital subsidy of 20%. and interest subvention of 6% is given. That is, if I now take a loan of 100 rupees, then I don't have to pay 100 rupees, I'll be paying only 80 rupees because 20 rupees is the capital subsidy given to for the power loan by the government. Second, when I'm taking a loan of 100 rupees and bank is giving me loan at some rate of interest, let's say bank gives me loan at 10% per annum. So when I am paying here, then the rate of interest that is charged from the power looms, it is somewhere around 4% per annum because 6% capital subsidy or 20% capital subsidy plus 6% of interest subvention is given. So because we are given interest subvention of 6%, then the rate of interest charge would be only 4% per annum. So for power looms, one of the schemes is Pradhan Mantri credit scheme that would have a capital subsidy and along with the capital subsidy, it would also have an interest subvention. Second is that in the Pradhan Mantri or in the Power Tech India, 
another scheme is scheme related to solar power. That is in order to reduce the cost of production so that there are problems related to the irregular power supply, these can be solved. Government says for installation of solar panels that could run the power looms, again a subsidy would be given. So subsidy is given on installation of solar panels. And last in the month of December, government also came up with a scheme of Sathi. Sathi is a scheme also for the power loans. Scheme for accelerated scheme for accelerated adoption accelerated adoption of efficient Textile technologies scheme for accelerated adoption of efficient textile technologies to help small industries. To help small industries. So this is a scheme that is jointly taken up by Ministry of Textiles and Ministry of Power. So Ministry of Textiles and Ministry of Power. are jointly taking up the scheme. So under this scheme, Ministry of Power would be providing energy efficient devices to the power looms so that they can save on the power bills. So if energy efficient devices are given to the power looms, then they can save some amount of cost and cost of production would come down. So Ministry of Power would give the energy efficient devices without any upfront payment to be made. So no upfront payment is required. That is, you have to pay over a period of five years. So, over a period of five years, this amount has to be paid, and the devices would be given by Ministry of Power. Then, last year also, we had a scheme known as Gunkar Mission. Gunkar Mitra is a scheme for the handloom sector. for the handloom sector, we have a number of schemes that are announced by the different state governments, by the central governments, plus government carries out some of the exhibitions where they can display their items. Like if you go to this area of Delhi Hut, in Delhi Hut you will find a number of weavers who have come from different parts of the country to display those products. And they are given the stalls at a very cheap rate of, uh, uh, at a very cheap rate, like for example 100 rupees a day is the price at which they can keep the stalls. These kind of schemes are announced by the government, state governments and the government for the handloom sector. So Bunkar Mitra is nothing but it is just the hand, uh, helpline for the handloom weavers. From where the handloom weavers or the handloom sector, they can get the information about the government schemes and the government exhibitions. So it is nothing but it is just a helpline for the weavers. If a question in the examination is there related to the industry, textile industry, 
If the question does not ask about the schemes, do not explain the schemes in detail. Just if you want to mention, just give a passing reference. If the question is on the schemes, there are questions, there have been questions on schemes. If the question is on the schemes, then mention the schemes in a reverse chronological order. That is scheme which is latest has to be mentioned first. So write down in the reverse chronological order. In the prelims examination, old schemes are not asked. So schemes in the prelims examination would be asked wherein the scheme has been announced recently by the government. In the budget season this year, the government announces some of the schemes. Those schemes can be asked by the examiner in the prelims examination. So if you're writing the examination, if you're writing the main examination, if the question comes on the scheme, write in reverse chronological order. If you write about the amended TVFR, the recent amendments that have been done in technology updates in front of you, then write about Sathi scheme, then write about power technology or moon government. So these have to be written in the reverse chronological order. If you look at the prospects of the cotton textile industry in the country, the prospects of textile industry, they are very good. See, because in the world, we have maximum of the share that is occupied by China. But in China, because of the increasing labor cost, manufacturing sector is witnessing some kind of slowdown. Cost of production in China is increasing. And because of high cost of production in China, because of slowdown in the manufacturing sector, China might leave some space in the international market. And if China leaves the void, then India can occupy that space. Because after China, India is the country which has an entire range from fiber to fashion. That is after China, we are the country on such a large scale, we are cultivating cotton. We are producing yarn, we are producing fabrics, we are producing made-ups, we are producing ready-made garments. So we have an entire range from fiber to fashion. If China leaves this void, then we have a good chance of occupying that space. But for that, we need to solve whatever problems are there in the cotton textile industry of the country. Is it clear? Note it down. Give a Problems of cotton textile industry. Scarcity of long staple cotton, scarcity of long staple cotton has been a problem since partition when area cultivating best quality cotton within brackets since went to Pakistan although India is a major exporter of raw cotton, although India is a major exporter of raw cotton, but Indian cotton is sold at discounted prices. 
as we don't have enough facilities for standardization and testing. And Indian cotton does not carry a brand value. Although in although India is a major exporter of raw cotton, but Indian cotton sold at discounted prices as we don't have enough facilities for standardization and testing. And Indian cotton does not carry a brand value. surplus of yarn as yarn exports to China have come down since the past few years. Chinese industries prefers Vietnamese yarn the industry also wants the hand can restrictions, hand can restrictions to be reduced to hand yarn restrictions at A and K, hand can restrictions to be reduced to around 10%, which represents the true share of the handloom sector. Textile industry in India faces competition from industry in Bangladesh, Vietnam, Cambodia, etc. Especially in value-added products.
we have a large market share in yarn and raw cotton. In bracket, around fourteen percent each. But the share in apparels is around three percent. Bangladesh and Vietnam not only have a low cost of production, but the products made in these countries Also enjoyed duty free excess. Two many markets of the world. Many markets of the world. Next point. Other problems include. Strict labor laws, and exit policy of the government, shoddy implementation of shoddy implementation of government schemes. In the theory of this scheme, the government has to pay somewhere three thousand crore rupees for the technology upgrading fund scheme. So the schemes have not been very well implemented. Short implementation of the schemes. <coughs> Dumping of certain products by China. Low productivity of labor, etc. Revise.
So in 2013, the government comes up with a new formula where with that new formula, a number of hand looms, they got automatically converted into the power loom. The government says, let's say 10 operations are there in cotton weaving, textile weaving. Government says that if five operations are mechanized, that it is a power loom. the criteria go, five ke bandhe, the government says if seven operations are mechanized, then it is a power loom or three operations are mechanized, it is a power loom. So number of hand looms have been converted into the power loom automatically because of change in the criteria. <coughs> As a result, whatever benefits that were available to the hand loom sector, those benefits were not given. Third, in case of the hand loom, the participation from the corporate sector is largely missing. For example, some of the corporates have taken some steps, like they say, Titan has some share of Titan, and we have the Helios which is for watches or Tanish for the jewelry. Similarly, a Tanira karke aata hai. There is a brand, Tanira. Tanira, it is for the handroom sector. So where we have these items which are displayed. So we need more of efforts on the corporate sector so that the weavers they have a good market. Basic problem is if they are weaving, then they don't find a good market. So this is what we have at present. You have to create, you have to market your products better. That is when the demand will be created. Why is the problem? Additional cost helps you hand sample if you have to make a ball out of it. If you have to sort it, then there are additional costs involved. That is We will start with the energy resources. Actually, we won't have factual discussions here. Uh, you'll read about the coal deposits of India and the world from the NCRT or from the Yellow Mumbai Hotel. So, coal deposits of India and coal deposits of world. I'll not take up that in class. I guess two days back it was in newspapers related to the last black coal mine of Germany being closed. We have some area like Germany where in the book you'll find the Ruhr Valley as a very important area for coal mining. Every three to four days back the mine was closed. The last black coal mine of Germany was closed. So this Ruhr Valley region you'll find in the book but that is not important now because mines have been closed. But in Germany we still have the brown coal mines that is lignite mining is still done. <coughs> coal is the most important source of energy generation in the country. Of the total installed capacity of power that we have in India. So we have somewhere around 344 gigawatts of power generation capacity as of September 2018. And out of this 344 gigawatts of total installed capacity, we have coal which produces around 57% of the power. So 57% of the total installed capacity is with the coal-based thermal power plants. So coal is considered as the most important source of energy generation in the country. Other than the power generation, 
coal is also one of the very important raw materials which is used in the steel industry a very important raw material that is used in the cement plants so industries like cement industries industries like steel plants they all use a lot of coal and if you find the location of steel industries many a time the steel industries are located around the coal mines because steel industry uses a lot of coal so we have the coal which is a very important source of energy generation and we have coal which is very important raw material for some of the industries moreover in case of coal india is a country which has a lot of deposits of coal last year geological survey of india it gave a report which said that up to a depth of 1200 meters we have somewhere around 315 billion tons of coal reserves in the country the estimated reserves of in the country up to depth of 1200 meters they are 315 billion tons so we have fourth largest or we have fifth largest reserves of coal in the world so we have good deposits of coal in india and we have somewhere around this much of the coal deposits as per the estimation of geological survey of india last year if you look at the formation of coal coal is always formed in the areas wherein we have the hot and humid condition coal is always formed in those areas where we have some kind of rifting and subsidence so coal is formed as a result of anaerobic decomposition of the vegetative matter so anaerobic decomposition of vegetative matter it is something that leads to formation of coal so if there is a wooded matter which is subjected to heat and pressure let's say i have some dead tree somewhere here so there is a dead tree and over this dead tree there is some set of sediments so then there is some set of sediments which have covered this dead material or plant material under pressure this would undergo decomposition inside the earth there is a lot of heat so from inside of the earth there is a lot of geothermal heat that comes out from the layer of sediment there is some kind of pressure suppose there is a valley suppose we have a block mountain here abhi manoj sir will take up this topic of block mountain so we have this block mountain here we have another block mountain here and in between we have a depression that is a valley Let's say, for example, we have Vindhyas as a block mountain. We have Satpuras as a block mountain, and in between Vindhya Satpura, we have a valley which is occupied by Narmada River. Suppose we are discussing about the area where we have warm and humid conditions. Where we have warm and humid conditions, that means this is the area that must have witnessed a lot of sunshine because the source of heating would be the incoming solar radiation. So this area has a lot of sunshine. if we have humid condition that means this area has a lot of moisture in warm and humid conditions because we have a lot of sunshine because we have a lot of moisture there would be a faster growth of trees so number of trees would grow in this area so suppose we have this kind of rift valley there so we'll have a number of trees in this area so the trees let's say they have a life of 500 years 600 years 200 years so the trees they are after 500 years the trees they die and some of the dead trees they are deposited somewhere 
Some dead, dead trees are there, some live trees are there in this rift valley. And what also happens is that when we have rainfall, some part of the mountain gets eroded. The mountains would also get eroded. So what would happen is that some of this mountain gets eroded, some of this mountain also gets eroded. Once the mountains get eroded, then what happens is the eroded material, it moves into the well. This eroded material, it enters into the well. And as this eroded material enters into the valley, it forms a layer here. So a layer of sediment, it is formed over the dead vegetative matter. So there is some dead vegetative matter over which we have a layer of sediments. There is a lot of heat form that is coming from inside of the earth. And there is a lot of pressure from the overlying layer of sediment. In sediment layer, it would exert a lot of pressure on these dead trees. And because we have a layer of sediments covering the surface, there would be absence of oxygen here. And in the absence of oxygen, the decomposition that takes place, it is anaerobic decomposition, which is a very slow process. So this anaerobic decomposition of this vegetative matter under heat and pressure over millions and millions of years, it would lead to formation of coal. So coal is the result of the anaerobic decomposition under heat and under pressure. And what can also happen is, after another 500 years, some more of the trees would die and then there would be some another layer of sediment that would cover another layer of this. So if you find coal, coal is always found in seams, that is in layers it is found. We can have a layer of coal and I can have a layer of mud. Then I can have a layer of coal and then I can have another layer of mud and sand. So coal is always found in layers. So coal is formed as a result of anaerobic decomposition of the vegetative matter under heat and under pressure. And coal is always formed in the hot and humid conditions. Coal is never formed in temperate areas. The coal fields that we have in the temperate areas, they have been formed when these areas were lying close to the equator. So earlier, the area that is making up USA today, USA may, we have some of the areas where we have cooler conditions. <coughs> In Britain, we have cooler conditions. Germany, may we have cooler conditions. On Poland, we have cold conditions. Russia, may we have cold conditions. But these areas, they have a lot of cold deposits. So, cold deposits are present in all of these areas. And we are saying that coal is never formed in temperate air, never formed in cold conditions. The idea is, earlier, when we had only one supercontinent known as Pangaea, these areas which are making up America, which are making up UK, which are making up parts of Europe today, they were lying very close to the equator. And then when the continental drift took place, these areas occupied the present day locations. NCRT, you must have read about the continental drift theory. That earlier all the continents were lumped together, surrounded by an ocean. Then it breaks up into two Gondwana Angara lands, and then we have the further breakdown and the continents drift apart. So America, which is located at the present location, it was lying close to the equator once and that is when the coal deposits were formed. The coal is always formed in the areas where we have warm and humid conditions. I mean, if you look at the coal deposits, we have a lot of coal deposits in India. But the problem is that we have the poor quality coal deposits in the country. And because of the inferior grade coal that we have, we have to import a lot of coal from the other areas. Like if you look at the uh, imports of coal, maximum of the coal has to be imported from different countries and that is done largely from Indonesia. So almost 48-49% of total coal that we are importing, we are importing it from Indonesia. 
then they're importing a lot of coal from the areas of Australia. Australia in the areas like Queensland or New South Wales, these areas have a lot of coal deposits. Or you must have read that we have also acquired some of the mines in Queensland. This company Adani, it has acquired some of the mines in Queensland. So a lot of protests are being taken up in those areas by the traditional communities there. So we import coal from Australia, we import coal from the areas of South Africa as well. South Africa is also having good deposits of coal and we import a lot of coal from these areas. So India has enough of coal deposits but we are dependent on the imports. And one of the reasons is that we have inferior grade coal in the country. So we have coal quality which is poor and Indian coal which has less calorific value. So when we have low calorific value, we have the coal which will generate less of power when burned in the power plants. Also, it cannot be used in the steel industry. Quality of coal, it depends on some factors. One of the very important factors is the amount of carbon that we have in the coal. It is the carbon that is going to burn, it is the carbon that is going to produce the energy. So if you look at the coal, the best quality coal is one in which we have the highest amount of carbon. So highest amount of carbon means that we will have maximum of the calorific value. And carbon concentration itself is a function of heat, time and pressure. That is longer is the time period for which a vegetative matter is subjected to heat and pressure, better would be the carbon concentration. If you look at the reasons why Indian coal has a low calorific value, I mean, if I look at the Indian coal, Indian coal is much recent in origin compared to the coal deposits of other areas of the world. Most of the coal deposits in India, somewhere around 98 to 99% of the total coal that we have in India, it was formed in a time period which we call as Gondwana time period. Most of the coal deposits in India, they were formed around 250 to 200 million years before present. So most of the coal deposits, they were formed during this time period, 200 to 250 million years before present. And this is a time period which in geological time scale we call as the Gondwana time period. It's known as the Gondwana time period. If I compare the Indian coal with the coal deposits that we have in USA, USA my coal deposits, they were formed somewhere around 350, 300 million years before present. So if I compare Indian coal with the coal deposits of USA, Coal deposits of USA are very old, they date back to 350 million years ago present, whereas Indian coal deposits, they are recent compared to the coal deposits of USA. So what happens is that Indian coal, it has been subjected to pressure and heat for lesser duration of time. So it has lesser of the carbon concentration. So we have carbon concentration which decides the quality of coal. And if I look at the Gondwana coal, because this is Gondwana time period, Indian coal is also known as Gondwana coal. So Gondwana coal, average calorific value we have is 4500 kilocalories per kg. This is the average calorific value of Gondwana coal. Average calorific value that we have with the coal that we import from Australia, it is somewhere around 6500 kilocalories per kg. So we have this coal which has high calorific value because it has high carbon concentration and the reason is that it has formed on uh, at a time period which was much lesser than the time period that we had in India. So they are much older in origin that is why they have a higher carbon concentration. 
So best quality coal is one in which we have the best of the carbon or highest of the carbon. And older is the coal field, if other conditions are constant, better would be the quality of coal. Other than the carbon concentration, one factor that decides the quality of coal is the moisture concentration. Moisture, it reduces the calorific value of coal. See, when we extract coal, after coal is mined, after mining coal, what we do is we go for the coal washing. So we go for coal washing, coal is taken, coal is washed and then coal is shipped to whatever destination it is to be shipped. When we wash coal in washery, that does not add moisture to the coal because the moisture dries up very fast. When we are talking about moisture in the coal, we are talking about moisture as a part of molecular structure. That is when moisture enters into the coal during the time of coal formation. So for example, if I look at So we have some difference between alumina and bauxite. So the difference is that in bauxite we have moisture which is part of the molecular structure. We have different ores of iron like for example we have hematite and we have limonite. This is a difference where water is present as a part of molecular structure. So when we are talking about moisture in the coal, we are talking about moisture which is present as a part of molecular structure. And higher is the amount of moisture, lesser would be the commercial value of coal, lesser would be the heat value generated by the coal. If coal has high amount of moisture, when you burn this coal, then good amount of heat generated will be first spent on evaporation of the moisture and lesser would be the useful heat that is generated. So useful heat value would be lesser because maximum of the heat would be used for evaporation of the moisture. So calorific value would be lesser. Second problem that we have with this coal is that if coal with high moisture concentration is exposed to air, as soon as this coal is exposed to air, it starts breaking down. So if you have coal that has high moisture concentration, you cannot transport this coal to longer distances. Because in most of the cases, coal is transported in the railway wagons which are open. In open railway wagons, the coal is transported and we are transporting coal with high moisture concentration. Greater is the distance of transportation, more would be the exposure of coal to air. And greater would be the exposure of coal to air, more would be the breakdown of coal. And as coal breaks down into small pieces, then what happens is, these small pieces, they would mix with the air and they would create problems of particulate matter. The problems of particulate matter are created Problems of air pollution are created with the coal that has high moisture concentration. So usually coal with high moisture concentrations consumed in the nearby areas, it is not transported to longer distances. So the best quality coal is one in which we have highest amount of carbon and in which we have the least amount of moisture. Other than this, we have the volatile matter which also decides the quality of coal. Volatile matter, it can be anything other than moisture and carbon. Anything other than moisture and carbon is the volatile matter. 
when you burn coal, it would leave some kind of residue. That would be part of volatile matter. It can be sand, it can be mud, it can be anything. Now there was a question asked in the prelims examination 2014. The question said, consider following statement. Statement 1, Indian coal has high ash content. Second statement, Indian coal has high sulfur content. So two statements were given and the question is, which of the above statements is or are correct? Now if you look at the ash content, one of the major drawbacks <coughs> in Indian coal, why Indian coal has low calorie value is the high ash content. Gondwana coal mein ash content is somewhere around 35% to 45%. So high ash content is present in the Gondwana coal. So Gondwana coal would have a high ash content. Second, this ash that is there, it can be anything. Ash largely contains compounds of silica, compounds of aluminium, compounds of iron. These are different constituents of ash that we have. So coal that has high ash content, it would have a low calorific value because ash would be present at the cost of carbon. If high ash is that means that there is less amount of carbon in it, so coal would have low calorific value. Plus, there are problems related to the boilers. See, when we are producing power, we are first burning the coal in the boiler. Coal is burnt, then the heat that is generated is used to turn water to steam, and steam under pressure runs the turbine, that is what produces power. In India, the boilers have to be specially designed because Indian coal gives a lot of ash content. So, boilers, they have to be specially designed in the country. Other problem that we have here is that if the coal has high ash content, then there are problems related to fly ash utilization. Fly ash needs to be utilized, otherwise fly ash again would mix with the air. And once it mixes with the air, it would create problems of air pollution. And government has a rule where government says that construction projects which are in the vicinity of the thermal power plants, they have to mandatorily use some amount of fly ash in the construction project. And last year, 2017, we used only 763% of the fly ash. That means rest of that which was not used, it mixed with the air, it mixes with the water. And fly ash, it makes the soil alkaline when it mixes with water and water enters into the soil. And fly ash also creates problems of particulate matter. So we have the Indian coal that has high ash content and ash content reduces the calorie value. When you categorize the coal, when you categorize the coal in the country, the first categorization is done on the basis of ash content. That is, if the ash content it is less than 18%, then it is considered a steel grade coal. That is, this coal can be used in the industry, this coal can be used in the blast furnaces, so it is a steel grade coal, the best quality coal. After, if the ash content is more than 18%, then it is known as washy grade coal. That is, this coal can be used in the steel industry, but then it needs to be first sent to a coal washery where impurities have to be removed. Then there are different grades, washery grade 1, washery grade 2, washery grade 3. So when the first level of categorization is done, it is done on the basis of ash content. So Gondwana coal, it has high ash content. Second, if we talk about sulfur content, then the Gondwana coal has low sulfur content. Sulfur content in the Gondwana coal, it is somewhere around 0.4%. So we have low sulfur content in the Gondwana coal. See, again, if sulfur is present in high amount, sulfur would bring down the economic value of coal. First is, if there is high amount of sulfur in coal, then what happens is this coal cannot be used in a steel industry. 
reason is when you add sulfur to iron then sulfur damages the properties of iron the properties of iron damaged by sulfur that is why if coal has high sulfur content you are not going to use it in the steel industry second if the coal has high sulfur content and if you use that in the power plant then there are problems related to these sulfur dioxide emissions so emissions of the harmful gases it is done or poisonous gases with the coal that has high sulfur content recently if you have read in the newspapers the supreme court banned the import of pet coke which has high amount of sulfur content so supreme court said any of the pet coke that has high sulfur content cannot be imported in the country the reason is if this pet coke is used then we'll have problems related to sulfur dioxide emissions so we have low sulfur content in the gondwana coal and high ash content we mentioned that somewhere 90 percent of coal was formed in the Gondwana time period. That is why it is known as Gondwana coal. Other than the Gondwana coal, we also have a coal that is known as tertiary coal. We also have a coal that is known as tertiary coal. As a tertiary coal, it is the coal that was formed in tertiary time period. Tertiary type is somewhere approximately around 66 to around 26 million years ago present. So this is a time period when some of the coal deposits were formed. Recently, there were a number of articles published in newspapers related to an accident that took place in a illegal mine in Meghalaya. So in Meghalaya, we have some of the coal deposits. East, Jentia may we have coal deposits, Cherapunji may we have coal deposits, Malong may we have coal deposits. We have coal deposits in Assam, we have coal deposits in Arunachal. All of these coal deposits that we have, they were formed in the tertiary time period. So coal deposits of northeastern India, they were formed during this time period. So that is why they are known as tertiary coal. Tertiary coal, it has a low ash content, but tertiary coal has high sulfur content. So if we are talking about Gondwana coal, Gondwana coal has high ash and low sulfur. But tertiary coal, it has low ash but high sulfur content. So the tertiary coal deposits, they have the high ash, or oh, sorry, high sulfur content but low ash content. So the question specifically talks about tertiary coal. Yes, tertiary coal would have high sulfur content, it would have low ash content. But if the general statement is there, Indian coal. Because 98-19% of Indian coal is Gondwana coal, you will write that Indian coal has low sulfur but high ash content. So these three factors that decide the quality of coal. And the best quality coal is one in which we have highest of the carbon, least of the moisture and least of the volatile matter. So these three factors decide the quality of coal and on the basis of these three factors we classify coal. form of coal is peat. It is 
the most inferior form of coal, the softest variety of coal, and the youngest form of carbon. So, youngest form of carbon, softest form of carbon, and also the most inferior form of carbon. So, youngest, softest, and the most inferior grade coal. It would have carbon concentration which is somewhere between 10% to 40%, not more than that. So, usually less than 30% is there, but at max it can be 40%. So, 10 to 40% is the carbon concentration that we have in peat. And peat is always formed in the areas where we have problems of water logging. Wherever we have water logged conditions, that is where we have formation of swamps, formation of marshes, where we have formation of bogs. So, those are the areas where peat deposits would occur. So, they would be formed when we have the water logged conditions. Because when we have water logged conditions, again, absence of oxygen is there and anaerobic decomposition takes place. And this anaerobic decomposition, it would form peat. So, a very soft variety of carbon, uh, inferior grade of carbon, which is always formed in the swampy marshy areas or bogs. A variety which is better than peat. It is known as lignite <coughs> or also the brown coal. So, lignite is a variety better than peat, harder than peat, but still considered as an inferior variety. So, it is still considered as an inferior variety. Lignite has a drawback that lignite has a high moisture concentration. So, because of high moisture concentration, it has a low calorific value. So, calorific value of lignite is low because of the high moisture concentration that we have with lignite. <coughs> then a better variety is bituminous coal. Bituminous coal, the name comes from the fact that when this coal is burnt, it leaves some residue or it leaves some bitumen. See, if you are aware about the crude oil refining, when we refine the crude oil, then there is some amount of residue that is left behind and that is bitumen. Bitumen can be obtained from the refinery. And similarly, when some coal deposits are also burnt, when this bituminous coal is burnt, it would leave a residue that is bitumen. So, bituminous coal, it is a very hard variety of coal much harder than petrolignite and much better than petrolignite. So, it is a very hard variety of coal, it is a better variety of coal, but carbon concentration can be somewhere around 40% to 80%. So, carbon concentration, it is somewhere around 40% to somewhere around 80%. Because carbon concentration varies a lot, we further categorize this bituminous coal into sub-bituminous. and coking coal. We categorize the coal into sub-bituminous coal and coking coal. <coughs> See, sub-bituminous coal, much of the Gondwana coal comes under this category. So, much of the Gondwana coal, it comes under the category sub-bituminous coal. We just mentioned that we have 315 billion tons of coal deposits in India and out of the 315 billion tons, 
we have somewhere around 280 billion tons which is the non-coking coal and only 35 billion tons is the coking coal deposit. So maximum of the Indian coal, it comes under the category of the sub-bituminous coal. It comes under the category of sub-bituminous coal. Coking coal, it would have high carbon concentration. So coking coal, it is the form of bituminous coal where we have high carbon concentration. And the name coking coal comes from the fact that it is used for making coke. See, coke is a reducing agent that is used in a blast furnace. See, when you get the iron ore, iron ore is basically an oxide of iron. So, iron ore has to be reduced or the oxygen from the iron ore has to be taken out. So, for this we need to have a reducing agent. And coke is used as a reducing agent in the blast furnace in the steel industry. So in the steel industry, we are using a lot of coke and coke is made from this coking coal. And that is why coking coal is also known as steel grade coal or it is also known as metallurgical grade coal. So it is known as steel grade coal or it is also known as metallurgical grade coal. <coughs> and there is a term pet coke. So coke is made from the coking coal, but pet coke means petroleum derived coal. That is when you have crude oil, when the crude oil is refined, also you get some amount of coke. So, and that coke that you get from the crude oil refining, it is known as the pet coke. See in India, the pet coke with high sulfur concentration cannot be imported. If I categorize the crude oil, Crude oil itself can be categorized on the basis of sulfur content. Crude oil that has high sulfur content that is known as a sour crude oil. And crude oil with a low sulfur content is known as sweet crude oil. So when you refine a sweet crude oil, you will get a coke that will have less of sulfur in it. But when you refine a sour crude oil, you will get a coke that has high sulfur in it. So the coke that is obtained from the sour food oil, it would have a lot of sulfur, so that cannot be imported into the country. So coking coal, it produces coke, but that is not same as pet coke. Pet coke is petroleum derived coal. So in India, we have few areas where we have coking coal deposits. Rest of the areas, they largely come under the category of some bituminous coal. So bituminous is a much better and a harder variety of coal. Then we have the coal deposits which come under the category of anthracite. Anthracite would have a very high amount of carbon concentration and carbon concentration anthracite can be as much as 95%. So the carbon concentration in anthracite it can be as much as 95%. And negligible moisture, negligible volatile matter. So negligible moisture, negligible volatile matter and very hard variety of coal. And because it is very hard variety of coal, it is difficult to ignite this coal at the first place. Let me complete. So you have anthracite which is a coal that has a high amount of carbon concentration, negligible moisture, negligible volatile matter and very hard variety that is difficult to get. 
Over anthracite, the other forms of carbon are there which are not used for energy generation because they are very costly. Like for example, graphite. Graphite is almost a pure form of carbon, more than 99% carbon is there, but because it is very costly, we are not using it for energy generation. So these are different forms of coal that we have. <laughs> you want the temperature to be increased or decreased? All of the other people they don't want any kind of change in temperature. You have to bear with it. Yeah, I've been children, AC. Now we'll have a discussion on the problems of coal mining. <coughs> what are the problems that we have with respect to coal mining in India? Of the different problems that we have, of the different problems that we have with respect to coal mining in the country, 
that we have with respect to coal mining in India, one of the major problems related to environment. See, at present, we have a number of power plants in the country which are stranded. There are a number of power plants in the country which don't have enough of coal supplies. So power is not being produced because coal supply is not there. And the supply of coal is not there because the government, it takes a lot of time to give the environmental health. Many of the coal mines have been allocated. The number of companies to whom mines have been assigned or they have been allocated. But mining operation has not started because government has not given the environmental clearance. And government takes a lot of time to give the environmental clearance because coal mining, it degenerates the environment. There are a number of environmental problems associated with the coal mining. And it has been found that the companies, they rarely adhere to the environmental norms once the initial environmental clearance is given. So government would impose a number of conditions that you will have to abide by those conditions if you have the if you have to mine coal. But what happens is that once initial clearance is given, then the companies take no efforts to abide by those conditions. They rarely adhere to the environmental norms. Abhi, of the different problems that we have with respect to the environment, we have problems with the open cast mining. So this is a picture of open cast mines. This is a picture of open cast mines. See, open cast mining is done in all those areas where the coal seam lies very close to the surface. This portion, this black colored line, it is the coal seam. So this black colored line, it is known as a coal seam. Grey coloured portion over and under the coal seam, it is the layer of mud and sand. We just mentioned that coal is always found in layers. So we have this layer which is the layer of mud and sand, it is known as overburden. So if the coal seam lies close to the surface, let's say the depth of the coal seam is let's say 40 meters. If the coal seam lies close to the surface, then we will go for open cast mining. In open cast mining, what we are going to do is, we first clear this area of vegetation, then we start digging up this area. So whatever overburden is there, it has to be removed with the help of this machine. This machine would remove all the overburden and we hit the coal seam. Once we reach the coal seam, coal seam is very hard because it has been under a lot of pressure for millions and millions of years. So it is a very hard mass. So what we have to do is, we will have to drill into the coal seam. So using a machine, drilling is done. Once drilling is done into the coal seam, then into the drills that have been created, into the holes that have been created, the explosives are planted. And after planting explosive, blasting is done. So once the blasting is done, then this coal, it breaks down into small pieces. So it would break down into smaller pieces and then these pieces would be collected and they would be shipped. So this simplest form of mining is known as the open cast mining. In case of this open cast mining, we are saying we have a number of environmental problems. Because we have said that coal is always formed in hot and humid conditions, there are many of the areas where we have coal deposits where we have a thick dense forest present. Like for example, if you look at the coal deposits in India, maximum of the coal reserves are in Jharkhand. So Jharkhand is the area where we have maximum of the coal reserves. Abhi Jharkhand is the area where we have thick cover of forest. Then we have coal deposits in Odessa. Odessa also has a thick cover of forest. We have good number of coal deposits in Chhattisgarh. 
this area also has a lot of coal deposits or it also has a number of trees. So once we go for open cast mining, we had said that first we have to clear the vegetation. So trees would be first cut down, only then this overburden can be removed. So we have a lot of tree cover which is lost when you go for the open cast mining process. There was a question in the mains examination in 2013. The question said, what is this concept of go mining and no go mining areas? So in the previous government, in the UPA government, we had this concept of go mining areas and no go mining areas. <coughs> the concept was based on the density of forest cover. That is, there are some areas where the forest has a thick canopy cover, where we have thick, dense forest. So, if the canopy cover, it is more than 70%, then it is known as the very dense forest. If canopy cover is between 40 to 70%, then it is known as moderately dense forest. What happens is, let's say, this is the top view. I am looking at one area from the top. If I am looking at some area from the top, I will find, let's say, this is one tree. These are the trees that we have somewhere here. So, in a particular area, the number of trees are present and from the top, the trees would look like circles. So, if I look at the total area and the total space, whatever is the space in between the trees, if you find that this space is less than 30% of the total area, that means forest cover or trees, they would occupy more than 70% of the area, then it is known as a very dense forest. That means if a canopy cover is more than 70%, then it is a very dense forest. If canopy cover that is eight occupied by these circles, it is between 40 to 70%, then it is a moderately dense forest. So, in the UPA government, there was term no-go mining areas. That means mining permission was not given in those areas where the tree cover was very dense. When we had a high density forest, then the mining permissions were not given and those areas were termed as no-go mining areas and where the canopy cover was lesser, where the trees, the density of forest was lesser, then based on the discretion of government, government would give you the mining clearance. Those were the go mining areas. That was the concept of go mining and no go mining areas, but that concept has been done away with. So right now with the present government, we don't have any such concept as of now. So the idea is that if you go for open cast mining, then you'll have to clear the trees, it would lead to deforestation. And deforestation would also lead to the problem of habitat loss. Once you cut down the trees, then what would happen is whatever animals that were occupying those forest areas, they would have to search for new locations. They would lose their habitat. And that is what happens is when these animals move to the human inhabited areas, we have the problems of man-animal So we have these as the issues. One of the issues is problem of deforestation and associated with deforestation is Biodiversity loss associated with deforestation is the habitat loss. Other than this, once you go for this drilling and blasting exercise, that is when I drill into the coal seam. When you drill into the coal seam, that what happens is that a lot of coal dust comes out. So this coal dust mixes with the air, small particles of coal, they would mix with the air and they would create problems of particulate matter. When you blast the coal seam, again the problem of coal dust is there. So, coal dust is a problem when you go for drilling and blasting. There are certain other exercises like for example, there is a machine known as surface miner. Surface miner is usually placed over this area and without drilling and blasting, surface miner would extract coal. But in India, largely we go for this coal drilling and blasting exercise. Government, before it gives the environmental clearance, government says that 
if you take a drilling and blasting, you need to have a sprinkler in your area. You must have noticed that after rainfall, the sky is very clear. Immediately after rainfall, the sun shines, the sky appears very clear. The reason is all the dust particles have been washed away. During the time of the monsoon, say during the time of rainfall, you don't find problems of dust. Because with the droplets falling from the sky, all of these dust particles, they're brought down to the ground. So what happens is, government says, when you go for drilling, when you go for blasting, then you have to start the sprinklers. That is when water comes in the form of light drizzle, it would take all of the coal dust along with it and that coal dust would not mix with the air. But what is done is that once the government gives the clearance, then there is no effort made if the sprinklers are in the working condition or they are not in the working condition. Like around two and a half months back, we had a mine on which heavy penalty was imposed by the pollution control of Orissa because sprinklers were not found in the working condition. So we have problems of coal dust, we have problems of air pollution. Other than this, once you take out the coal, let's say, look at this portion, you have a written coal washing. So once you take out the coal, coal is to be washed. So after washing, a number of impurities are removed and the calorific value of coal improves. So we go for coal washing. In case of coal washing, when the impurities are removed, the coal is taken out. But impurities along with water, they create sludge. So sludge is created that would have water, that would have impurities. This sludge, if it is not treated and without treatment, if it is let into the water bodies, then it will create problems of acid mine drainage. It will create problems of acid mine drainage. Acid mine drainage means that water bodies they become acidic because of the sulfur that is present in coal, which might form sulfurous acid. So, did you read the newspaper related to the rat hole mining practice in Meghalaya? it was published in newspapers. So, in rat hole mining practice, it was written that it was banned in 2014. And the main reason why NGP banned this was that this is the area where we have a river known as Kopili River. Kopili river flows through this area and all of these coal deposits that were taken out, good amount of coal dust, it was lit into the water bodies that was leading to acidification of Kopili river, affecting aquatic life there. So, acid mine drainage is a problem. Look at the pollution problems of Damodar river. Damodar river flows through Dhanbad, Damodar river flows through Bokaro and these are the areas where we have a lot of coal mines. So, lot of coal sludge, it is let into Damodar river that creates problems of acidification of Damodar. Plus, when sulphur enters into the water bodies, that sulphur is a secondary macronutrient. Plants would require sulphur for their growth. And what would happen if some nutrients enter into the water body? Eutrophication is a process. Yes, So, you have eutrophication as a problem. So all of these are problems that are associated with the coal mines. So when you have the sludge treatment plant which does not work in your mine, or you don't have a sludge treatment plant, then we have this problem of acid mine drainage. So we have the open cast mines that create problems related to the air pollution, that create problems related to water pollution, that create problems related to deforestation and habitat loss. All of these are some of the problems with the open cast mine. In case the coal seam is 
in case the coal seam is lying at a greater depth. And we just mentioned that coal seam lies at a depth of let's say 40 meters somewhere. But what if the coal seam lies at a depth of 100 meters, 150 meters, 200 meters? Suppose we have this as the coal seam. This coal seam labeled as 1. If you have this as the coal seam, this orange color line is the overburden. So we have this orange color portion which is the layer of mud and sand and black color line is a coal seam. If I have a coal seam somewhere here, then there is a very thin cover of overburden. I will go for this open cast mining in this area. So we will go for open cast mining, overburden is removed and then the coal seam is drilled and blasted and then we take out the hole. But if you have coal seam, let us say coal seam number 2, which is at a depth of let us say 150 meters or 100 meters. If the coal seam is at a depth of 150 meters or 100 meters, then if I go for removing whole of the overburden for the entire stretch of the coal seam, the process would be very, very costly. It would not be economically feasible to extract coal from all of these areas where coal seams are lying at a great depth and there is a lot of overburden over it. So in those cases, we go for the underground mining. If the coal seam lies at a depth Coal seam lies horizontal to the surface. This coal seam is at a depth and coal seam is horizontal. What we are going to do is look at this portion, this blue colored portion. This is the area which we have excavated. Like earlier, this surface might have been something like this. This would have been the surface area. Now, what is done is in some of the areas, some part the earth is taken out, the ground is excavated. And we continue to dig up the surface till the time we reach upon the coal seam. So once the coal seam gets exposed to the surface, the coal seam starts over here and we dig up to this portion. And if the coal seam gets exposed to the surface, then we'll go for a horizontal tunnel in this area. Coal seam is horizontal, it gets exposed after digging up certain portion. So we'll create a horizontal tunnel. And this horizontal tunnel that is created, it is known as edit. So edit is the horizontal tunnel that we have created. So this kind of mining, which is done when we create a horizontal tunnel, when the coal seam gets, gets exposed after excavating some amount of earth, it is known as drift mining or also known as edit mining. So edit mining or drift mining, it is done if the coal seam lies at a greater depth. It is done if you have the coal seam that gets exposed after drilling up or after excavating certain portion of earth. Now look at this coal seam. This labeled as 3 here. Abhi, coal seam 2, it was lying horizontal to the surface. But coal seam 3, it lies inclined. If the coal seam lies inclined to the surface and coal seam gets exposed by removing certain amount of material, then we will create a tunnel which is also inclined. So look at this tunnel which is also inclined tunnel. So this kind of mining is known as slope mining. So slope mining is done wherein Coal seam lies inclined to the surface and coal seam gets exposed to the surface after digging up certain material. So slope mining, it is very costly when you compare it with the drift mining and drift mining is very costly when you compare it with the open cast mining. Now we look at this coal seam, coal seam 4. This is a coal seam which is lying at a much greater depth. Let's say the depth of coal seam is 250 meters. If depth of coal seam is 250 meters, 
I cannot dig a hole of this area for the depth of 250 meters. Again, it would be very costly. So what we are going to do is, we are making a vertical tunnel here. So vertical tunnel is made. So first, a uh, vertical tunnel is made. And we continue to dig this tunnel till the time we reach to the coal sea. For 250 meters, we will create a vertical tunnel here. And this vertical tunnel is a shaft. Once you hit the coal seam, then what happens is from one shaft, a number of horizontal tunnels are created. Suppose this is a shaft that is dug up to a depth of 250 meters. Once we hit the coal seam, one tunnel moves in this direction, other horizontal tunnel in this direction, third horizontal tunnel might be in the direction of class, fourth somewhere else. So one shaft might be connected to a number of horizontal tunnels. So one vertical tunnel connected to a number of horizontal tunnels. So these horizontal tunnels, they are known as galleries. So mining is known as mining by shaft and galleries. So where the coal seams, they lie at a great depth. Where it is not possible to go for edit mining or slope mining, we go for mining by shaft and galleries, which is a very costly process. And in case of underground mining, you don't have problems of coal dust. Suppose, I'm looking at this mine. Here, when I've created a tunnel, I'm taking out some coal or I'm drilling the coal, I'm blasting it here. Though I'm going for drilling and blasting, coal dust comes out, but coal dust does not come up to the surface. All the coal dust would settle within the mine itself. So, coal dust is not a problem. If I have to create a shaft because I'm not removing whole of this overburden, there won't be problems related to the underground, problems related to deforestation. So, again, if I go for open cast mining, I would have to remove whole of the overburden, vegetation has to be cleared. But if I'm creating a shaft, only small areas are required. So, it won't have problems related to the deforestation. So, air pollution is not a problem, deforestation is not a problem. But the problem is related to the water pollution here as well. Because most of the coal deposits that we have, they are associated with certain river valleys. This is Damodar River has coal. So we have Damodar Valley coal. Or in Maharashtra, we have Vardha Valley coal. In Odessa, we have Ib Valley coal. Ib is a tributary of Mahanad River. So we have Ib Valley coal. Or we have Son Valley coal. So number of coal deposits in India, they are associated with certain rivers. And if you know that groundwater, the depth at which groundwater is present, it depends on a number of factors. One factor on which groundwater presence would depend on is the geology of the area. What is the porosity of the soil? What is the porosity of rock which is there in those areas? Or it can also depend on the presence of large water bodies. All those areas where we have large water bodies, those are the areas where groundwater gets recharged. Reverse caspers, groundwater is very, very shallow. So, because many of the coal deposits are found near the rivers, there would be a lot of groundwater. So, when groundwater is present in this area, when you go for the coal mining, you first have to pump out this groundwater. I mean, when this accident happened in Meghalaya, if you have read that, the problem was that all of the mines were filled with the water. And underwater stream, subterranean stream was flowing under the coal mine. And because of this area having a lot of groundwater, over a period of time, all of this mine was filled with the groundwater. So this area has a lot of groundwater, so you have to pump up the groundwater. And again, you need to have water treatment plants here. The groundwater has to be released into some other water bodies. 
So water treatment plants are not there, then again we'll have problem of acid mine drainage, we'll have problems of the water pollution. So we have problems of environment with respect to the coal mining, and that is why government takes a lot of time to give the environmental clearance. Clearance is given after a long process, after a number of conditions are imposed by the government. Other than this problem, we have a problem related to the productivity. First understand the system that we have for coal mine. Suppose this is the total area which is under the coal mines. This is the total area under the coal mines. I mean, in 1973, the government nationalized the coal mines. So coal mines were nationalized in 1970. The government said that private mining won't be permitted in the country. So nationalization of mines was done in 1973 where the government said that mining would now be done by only the government companies, only by the PSUs. So government said that maximum of the area, let's say somewhere around 90% of the area, it would be under Coal India Limited and its subsidiaries. There are eight or nine subsidiaries with CIL. So government said that maximum of the area would be under CIL and its subsidiaries like the Bharat Coking Coal Limited, Southeastern Coal Fields Limited. So these companies are mining coal. Some of the area it is under Singarani Coal Reefs and Coal Limited. So Singarani Coal Reefs and Coal Limited, or for example, Coal India Limited, they would mine maximum of the area. There are certain companies that use a lot of coal. They say we have steel producers that require a lot of coal, or we have power producers that require coal, or we have let's say cement producers that require coal. So coal is used by the companies producing cement, coal is used by the companies producing steel, companies producing power. If a power producing company or steel producing or company or cement producing company, it requires coal. What it can do is, it can enter into an agreement with Coal India Limited that is known as the Fuel Supply Agreement. So let's say there is a power plant. This power plant is owned by a company, let's say it is owned by Tata. So it is a Tata power plant. It needs some amount of coal and using this coal, Tata power plant, it would produce power and that would be sold to distribution company. What would happen is, power plant, it would have an agreement with Coal India Limited. That it would say that I would need this much and this much amount of coal and CIL promised to supply that coal. And this coal is supplied when a mine would be given to the company. When we have power plant that requires some amount of coal from CIL, what CIL would do is that I would give you some mine. So let's say this is mine labeled as E. CIL say that this is the mine and whatever coal would be mined from this mine A would be given to this power plant. Are you getting my point? So first CIL would look at what is the grade of the mine and what is the quality of coal present in this area. Let's say first quality is ascertained. CIL says that it is a high grade coal. If a high grade coal is there then CIL says that whatever coal I would mine from this area I will give it to you. And then an agreement is taken up that is a fuel supply agreement. So under this fuel supply agreement, Coal India Limited promises to give the power plant certain amount of coal that is to be mined from only this area. 
So whatever coal comes from this area, it is to be mined and given to the power plant here. What this power plant can also do, other than taking it from coal and delimited, this power plant is owned by Tata. What it can also do is, it can request the government to give it mining rights over certain areas. Abhi, this is the area, 90% of area which is under CIL, its subsidiaries or Singarini codes. But there is some amount of area that is left. This area, it is meant for captive mining. It is meant for captive mining. That means, this power plant, let's say it was owned by Tata. Then Tata can ask the government to give its mining right. Here, government would say that this mine or this area belongs to Tata. Tata would mine the coal and whatever coal is mined by Tata, it cannot be sold in the market. It is available or it is given to you only for your own captive use. That is, you will mine coal and after mining coal, you will use that coal only in your power plant. So, this captive mining can be given to the steel producers, it can be given to the power producers, it can be given to cement producers. So these companies, they can either enter into fuel supply agreement or they can get the captive mining rights. Abhitak, if anything is extra, let's say Tata requires only 50 kg of coal. Tata requires 50 kg of coal and Tata has mined somewhere around 100 kg of coal. If captive mining, say Tata has mined 100 kg of coal, but demand is only 50 kg. So it has a surplus of 50 kg. Itna surplus uske paas? Government said that if you have surplus, even this surplus cannot be sold in the market. Surplus of 50 kg, it has to be sold to Coal India Limited at a notified price. That is, if you have a surplus of coal, because here we have strict end use restrictions. That is, coal is mined to be used only in your enterprise. You cannot sell this coal out in the market. So, if anything is surplus, surplus coal is to be given to CIL at a notified price. At present in the country, there are a number of problems related to the deficiency of coal. We don't have enough of coal in the country. Because we don't have enough of coal in the country, recently an amendment has been done in the month of November. November, what the government has done is, government said that Whatever is surplus with the captive miners, 25% of this surplus can now be sold in the market. Earlier, nothing could be sold in the market, but now government says, Tata ni mine ki 100 kg, requirement is 50 kg, 50 kg surplus. It's cut 25%. That means 12.5 kg can now be sold by Tata into the market. But rest of the 37.5 kg again have to be sold to Coal Delimited at a notified price. Are you able to understand this? Yes, So the idea is that some area is available for captive mining and maximum of the area is under the government control. Because we have been facing scarcity of coal, this year, the government, sorry, last year, government also permitted the mining for commercial purposes. Yes, we have been suffering from problems of coal, we have to import a lot of coal. Government says 1973 when coal mines were nationalized. After a gap of 44 years, that is in 2017, again private mining for commercial purposes have been allowed. So government said some area is under government PSU, some areas under captive mining, and this small area it is now available for commercial mining. 
What is the difference between commercial mining and captive mining? Captive mein there are end use restrictions. Commercial mein there are no end use restrictions. You can mine coal and you can sell it to anybody if you want. So for private miners, you can go for captive mining, end use restrictions and commercial mining where there are no end use restrictions. So this has been done last year and this year some 27, 28 of the mines have been auctioned by the government for commercial mining. So this is how coal is mined in the country. Understand? We were discussing about the problems related to productivity and the problems of coal mining. As they said, the maximum of the area under coal mines is owned by or operated by Coal and Limited. Beginning of this year, that is January 2018, CIL had somewhere around 193 of the mines which were underground mines. January 2018, CIL had 193 of the underground mines. It is not visible. Uh, somebody can you please call the attendant? Whatever I am writing, is it not visible? In January 2018, we had 193 of the underground mines with CIL and CIL had somewhere 177 of the open cast mines. So January 2018, 193 of the underground mines, 177 of the open cast mines. 60% or more than 60% of the workforce of CIL was engaged in underground mining operations and somewhere 40% of the workforce was in the open cast mining operations. If I Define efficiency. Can I say efficiency is the ratio of input to output? That is how we define efficiency. Ratio of output to input. Or in, in this case, if you look 60% of workforce which is engaged in underground mining operations, 60% of the workforce, it is giving only 7% of the total output. That is from the underground mines in 2017, we had an output of only 7%. That means 93% of the output it came from the open cast mines. So in case of underground mines, we have a lot of workforce which is employed, but underground mines, they give a very little share in the total output of the <coughs> So we have a very low efficiency in case of the underground mines. Not only we have a low efficiency, but we also have a very low productivity. See, productivity in case of coal mines, it is defined in terms of output per manship. So, output per manship, it decides the productivity. If I say that in a coal mine, productivity is 20 tons per manship. If I say productivity of coal mine is 20 tons per manship, it means 
that in this mine, in a shift of eight hours, if a worker works in this mine and he works for a shift of eight hours, this worker would bring 20 tons of coal with it. If I say productivity of coal mines is 10 tons per man shift, it means in a shift of eight hours, the worker, it would bring 10 tons of coal from this mine. So this is how we define productivity. So we are saying we have a low efficiency, but we also have a low productivity. Open cast mines, mein, India, mein the average productivity is around 16 tons per match. This is the productivity that we have in India for open cast mines. In USA, the productivity, it is somewhere around 69 tons per match. The USA, it is 69 tons per match. So there's a lot of difference in terms of productivity. Compared with Australia, Australia my productivity is somewhere 75 tons per match. So India may open cast made 16 tons per man shift. USA made 69, Australia made 75 tons per man shift. This is the difference here. And open cast may we are saying we have a good productivity when you compare it with the underground mines. Underground mines may productivity in India it is less than 0.8 tons per man shift. Yeah, productivity in India for the underground mines less than 0.8 tons per man shift. Compare it with the world average. World average is 8 tons per man shift. That is a difference of 10 times. Compared with Australia, the productivity in Australia is 40 tons per man shift. A difference of more than 50 times is there. So there is a lot of difference when we compare the productivity of underground mines in India with the underground mines in the other countries of the world. So if you look at the productivity, efficiency of the mines, we have a low productivity and we have a low efficiency. And if you know that today, a number of underground mines that were operated by CIL have been converted into open cast wherever it was possible or they have been shut down. So almost 100 mines of CIL have been converted into open cast mines where it was possible or they have been shut down. Because open cast, it was using uh, the underground mines, they were using a lot of resources, but they were not giving the output. And the basic reason why we have the problem is related to the technique of mining that we have. Look at this picture. This is a picture of an underground mine and we are saying we are using a technique which is known as the pillar and board method or also the pillar and room method. So we go for a technique that is known as pillar and board method or pillar and room method. I understand this. This is the area where we had the coal sea. When you go for mining, you don't mine coal on this area, but what you do is you leave some of the coal as pillars. The idea is that these pillars, they would support the roof. The white color portion in between the black color lines, it is the area from where the coal has been taken. This is the roof. 
So we create a room from where the coal has been taken out and then some of the pillars are left as it is. The idea is that these pillars they would support those. Once mining is done, then these rooms are filled with sand. Sand is filled in these rooms so that the land does not supply even if the coal burns after some time. So this is a method known as pillar and board method. So the pillars that are supporting the roof, they also contain a lot of coal. We are not extracting this coal, we are wasting this coal. In the other countries, the technique of mining that they are using, it is known as a long wall mining method. This is a picture of long wall mining. Here in long wall mining, we don't use pillars, but we are using a hydraulic support. We don't go for drilling and blasting here. So a hydraulic support is there, it would support the roof. So a machine supports the roof, it prevents the roof from falling. Then there's another machine that is a shearer. Towards the end of the shearer, if you look at here, there's a drum attached. In this drum, some of the blades are fixed. So some blades are fixed into this drum and this is a machine shearer. So support would support the roof, hydraulic support it would support the roof and the shearer moves forward. This is the direction of advance. As the shearer moves forward, then this drum would rotate like this. The shearer moves forward and the drum rotates. And the blades which are fixed onto the drum, these blades, they would cut the coal seal. They would cut the coal seal. And not shown in the picture, there is also a conveyor belt which is attached. <coughs> that is, whatever coal is cut down, that coal is taken out of the mine. So this is long wall mining method. So this method, it does not have any kind of wastage. When we move back, we fill this area with the mud, we fill this area with sand. Sand filling is done here. And one condition that is required for this mining, it is that we should have a contiguous coal seam. There is some area where some other rock is there. If some other rock is there, then what happens is you cannot use this method because when the blades would cut the rock, then there would be wear and tear in the blades here. So idea is you require contiguous coal seam. But in India, there are a number of areas where we have contiguous coal seam, but where we are not using this long wall mining method. So if you want to improve the productivity, you have to improve the technique of mining. So we have discussed about two problems. We'll continue this discussion in the next lecture as well. And the next lecture will also start with the other source of energy. Thank you very much.